Coming, Coming to you from beyond the veil, where anything is possible and nothing is beyond your reach, where time and space are figments of your imagination and life is but a dream. Bringing you the best and latest that human and non-human intelligence has to offer, this is Messages from the Multiverse. Hello everyone out there, from wherever in the multiverse you may be listening. This is your host, Ian R. Anderson, here at Hypnotropia in Encino, California. Thank you for joining me for Messages from the Multiverse. This show is all about embracing the unknown. The unknown is something that the human race has grown to fear practically as part of our evolution. We developed on a planet with an incredible range of predators, and we come into this life knowing nothing about the world we were born into. We had to worry constantly about what the next threat would be, when it would present itself, and how we might act to protect ourselves and our offspring from it. This required us to miss all the beauty and mystery around us much of the time. 95% of our attention was always focused on 5% of reality, that bit around our physical location that we could see, hear, touch, taste, or feel. So our conscious mind was in use most of the time. Now we are not living in that state of nature anymore. But the nature within us, to be suspicious of a snare, to worry about survival constantly or to be constantly vigilant, is still taking up most of our thought process. That 5% of our mental power, our conscious mind, is still focusing 95% of our attention on that 5% of the world that we can see. This creates tension, anxiety, and fear, especially when something unknown presents itself, even though it may not be a physical threat. Instead, I look at the unknown as the source of all potential. Anything new that we can manifest or create comes from that unknown. It is the source of everything. It is where we come from and everything else in the multiverse. It may be that by getting in touch with and embracing the unknown, we are getting closer to the source of all things. Call it God, the Creator, Source, Universal Spirit, the Mind of the Universe, whatever you want. It is itself the biggest mystery. Anything that can help us get into a fuller and more meaningful relationship with the unknown, which exists within us as well as outside of us, I believe is a good thing. So today we are going to explore something that might be unknown to many of you out there, maybe not, but I think that our guest can help us get in touch with that unknown power and potential within us by exploring the world of cranial sacral therapy. Todd Simon, certified visionary cranial sacral therapist and certified hypnotherapist, got his bachelor's in human biology from Pitzer College in Claremont, California in 1989. He earned his master's in integrated marketing communications from the Medill School of Journalism at Northwest University in 1994. Todd has obtained additional training and certifications as a massage technician at the Institute of Psychostructural Balancing in Culver City, California, as a visionary sacral therapist at the Milne Institute, and in clinical hypnotherapy at the Hypnosis Motivation Institute in Tarzana, California where he graduated with honors and was awarded the prestigious Director's Award for Outstanding Professional Achievement during Clinical Residency. Todd is the owner of multiple therapeutic practices including Kinder Mind Hypnosis, Full Body Hypnosis, and Feel Sacred Enterprises. Todd Simon is the author of a book entitled A Little Infinity, and he practices out of the Los Angeles and Santa Monica areas in California. Okay, so we have Todd Simon here in Hypnotropia's office slash studio today. Thank you for being here with us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So this is episode two of Messages from the Multiverse. Todd is a 
visionary cranial sacral therapist, is that right? Correct. Okay, is that any different from a regular cranial sacral therapist? or? Yeah, the visionary part is really where the practitioner is within their body. They're more in a meditative state than, say, a normal cranial sacral practitioner who's really thinking about the specific parts of the cranium and less about being in a sort of hyper-aware state. To get started, you enter, you put yourself into a meditative state. Usually for me, the induction of simply putting my hands on someone automatically brings me there. This is sort of after years of training, both in meditation and in cranial sacral. It seems like the permission is granted once my hands touch the physical body. And that sort of takes me into a deep awareness and a release of egoic sort of structure within myself. Okay, so why don't we take a second first and just describe in your own words what it is to be a cranial sacral therapist or a visionary cranial sacral therapist. What does that entail? Sure. Well, cranial sacral therapy, first off, is is based on osteopathy, the movement of bones in the body. The person who developed it was an osteopath and started doing actually experiments on his own head with a, a helmet that could adjust. And when he moved certain plates, he wrote down his experiences. And eventually what he found was by adjusting the plates of the skull, he was manipulating his own cerebral spinal fluid, which is what runs the central nervous system, he eventually realized there was a certain set of protocols that he can do to balance his cerebral spinal fluid. The cerebral spinal fluid is what runs the nervous system. It's how basically the muscles hold trauma, both physical and emotional. So you're basically working with the skull to help release the trauma that's stored in the physical body, both in the brain as well as in the nervous system and the muscle tissue. Okay, so is the is that fluid, the cerebral spinal fluid, is that mostly concentrated in the spine and the skull, or d- does it kind of reach out into other areas of the body as well? There's basically a, a wave that starts in the brain stem and goes all the way down the spine to the sacrum and back up, and almost like an acupuncturist would feel um, for your your wrist, for your heartbeat, and you'd, mm-hmm. they'd figure out just based on your simple pulse what might be off within your body. The same could be done for a visionary cranial sacral therapist where you can feel the cranial wave and see where it might be off. Okay, cranial wave, that sounds really fascinating. So the therapy is a, is a physical and an energetic type treatment? Correct. With the visionary part, that's the energetic in that the practitioner is really in a deep meditative state. And like when you do Reiki, there's all kinds of information that can be transferred into the person based on that, all kinds of adjustments more on a off-the-body energetic level. And then, yes, you're actually physically moving the plates of the skull and the very bottom of the spine, the sacrum as well. Okay, and how, how big are those adjustments that you're making? They're pretty minor. I mean, obviously, our, our skull somewhat fuses after we are a newborn. As you know, when you've seen a baby come out, their skull is really pliable, and it hardens, but not to the point where most people think that it's just one hard shell. There's still some flexibility within the plates, within the sutures of the plates. And so, you know, we're talking of maybe five pounds of pressure on the skull, and the movements we're talking are micrometers, but it's, it makes a huge difference to the cerebral spinal fluid. Okay, and does the client that you're working with, do they feel the adjustments at the time that you're making them? Is it, it's not like... Um, it's not like working with a chiropractor where it where you can feel the popping and the, the Correct. realignment. Correct. It is not right? that obvious in the physical, but people feel it emotionally. People mm-hmm. feel it 
in all kinds of ways. So while they might not feel like a slippage of a plate, they will definitely feel a huge opening emotionally and energetically within themselves. Okay. In our first conversation, you mentioned the word unwinding. Mm-hmm. Um, can you explain that a little bit? Sure. So I'm sure you've seen a dog who, after a stressful situation, will shake its body. Uh-huh. And what they're basically doing is releasing that nervous energy before it could set in the physical body. We don't really do that. A lot of times when we have high stress and trauma, we actually will grip harder and our body will hold this tension and we never really give ourselves the ability to relax and shake it off. And so what happens is it gets stored in the nervous system until it has an opportunity to release. And so one of the opportunities is during cranial sacral therapy and the body will literally unwind where sometimes you'll see it as like muscle spasms or shakes or you know when you're about to go to sleep and you're not quite asleep yet and your body will just shake? That's yeah. your body releasing energy so it can move into a sleep pattern. So the body sort of does that in the extreme. It can really start flailing and shaking depending on what type of trauma you're working with. I did have an example where there was a girl, and at the time I wasn't sure what was going on, but I was there to facilitate. And there was just really a lot of movement and thrashing around and and wild motions going on. And at the end, what I found out was she was cesarean sectioned as a baby, but there was something within her that needed to experience the birth canal, uh-huh. which is sort of our first real struggle out into the world. Right. And she needed to have that, her nervous system needed to have that experience. She didn't have that experience. Instead, she was cut open and separated from her mom. And when she was in the cranial sacral therapy session, her nervous system finally had that opportunity to experience it. So it did that. The body went through as if it was going into through the birth canal. And so she gave her that experience that her nervous system needed. Wow. So she went through many years without missing something that she needed from the very beginning. Correct. And it was stored in her physical body as tension. And finally, when her, um, there was that ability to release it, it happened. She needed to feel supported by me, and we needed to adjust the cerebral spinal fluid that had been holding it for so long. Fascinating. So the, uh, the actual process of being squeezed through the birth canal, does that have maybe some kind of, um, some kind of effect on the cerebral spinal fluid from the very beginning that babies who are delivered through cesarean are lacking? It feels like it. It feels like there's something evolutionarily in our biology to go through that process of the birth canal that sets us up in a nervous system way to experience it. And when we're not given that experience, in a way, yeah, it feels like we are missing something, not that we're aware of consciously, mm-hmm. and sometimes not even unconsciously, but the body has an awareness. Is that, um, is that something that anybody has considered doing some kind of clinical study on the adjustment of babies or the the growth process of babies who have and who have not been treated with cranial sacral therapy from the very beginning? Yeah, and there are some subspecialists within cranial sacral therapy that just deal with newborns. We're uh-huh. talking from zero to, say, one year. Um, and they, deal, they do deal with the trauma of birth in general because, mm-hmm. you know, they're... Birth can be traumatic depending on which direction they're coming, if the umbilical cord goes around the neck. And to be honest, even as early as the third trimester, there is a nervous system in place that can remember and hold certain traumas that the mother might be experiencing at the time. So even that can be addressed during cranial sacral therapy. Wow. And as far as the studies, 
I don't know. I'm, I'm hoping that there are studies that do show the difference between the nervous systems of those who have been cesarean section and those who haven't, and then we can figure out easy methods of giving those kids who were cesarean sectioned an opportunity to have that experience. Wow. You know, I opened this episode with a little bit of a, dis- a discussion about our evolution, and part of it was about the uh, process that, that um, we went through that created our um, state of mind of being hypervigilant and being always kind of um, suspicious of our environment because of the environment that we evolved in, being surrounded by predators sure. all the time and stuff like that, and how that led to the development of anxieties and fears of the unknown um, because this show is, is largely about embracing the unknown and um, you know making things that as hypnotherapists also you understand um, making previously unknown things known is a good way to help people release their fears or change their patterns of behavior. Right. And, and our nervous system, by the way, is constantly being inundated with messages and experiences that we didn't have when we had that sort of primitive mind. Now with new technology and with television and media, you know, just even watching a movie, even though we know it's a movie, we can be affected by a war scene or someone else's trauma. So as more and more technology is out there, there is, I think, more and more influences on our nervous system on a more subtle level that we're getting. Okay, so that brings us to the question that I, I really wanted to ask in the very beginning, which is, the cranial sacral um, phrasing, is that a reference to the chakra system, the energy system of the body, or no? It doesn't have so much to do, I mean, I think all energy systems are related, they just have a different ideology and a different viewpoint of mm-hmm. where they are and what they look like. Um, so we don't specifically deal with the chakras because we are dealing mostly with the skull, which mm-hmm. I guess would house maybe two of the chakras, or three possibly, depending on how you look at it. And the sacrum, which I guess would encompass at least two of the chakras as well, but there's not anything directly related to the chakras. Okay. Although when we do unwind, I, who has a little more experience in sort of chakras, can relate the chakras to where the certain releases are coming from. But in the, in, in the teaching of cranial sacral, typically it's not um, entered into the chakra system. Okay. So you're, you're also a certified hypnotherapist, which I mentioned in your bio in the introduction of the episode, and you have combined hypnotherapy with cranial sacral therapy. Can you describe a little bit about your process of how you decided that, that you were going to try that and how it worked for you? And sure. Yeah, it's something like? I call um, total body hypnosis or uh-huh. full body hypnosis. I had been doing cranial sacral therapy for 15 years and saw a lot of change happening, but also wanted to work with the complete brain. I was working with the unconscious mind, but not with the client consciously at the time. I don't know if that makes sense, but through the releasing of muscle tension, they're releasing unconscious patterns, but they're not aware directly usually of it, unless it's a situation like with the woman who was going through the birth canal. She figured it out. A lot of people, they're releasing and they're not sure. I wanted to work specifically with the unconscious mind as well. And so what I noticed is during certain holds within visionary cranial sacral therapy, people were going into trance states. Their eyes were fluttering as if they were in a hypnotic state. And so when I was starting to train for hypnotherapy, I made that realization maybe halfway in my training, because at first I thought, ooh, I'm going to have to sort of do the two separately. And 
and we'll see how that works out. And about halfway through, I realized actually they are a perfect blend together because you're working on the nervous system on so many different levels with hypnotherapy, you're obviously working on the unconscious mind and the conscious mind. But in cranial sacral therapy, you're working on it with the body as well. So you're using all the body intelligence, their connection to their body and their nervous system. And so combining the two is like, the synergy was incredible. I, I recognized that the hypnotherapy length of time was cut in half almost. So the suggestibility was taking form on an even deeper level mm-hmm. when I was also doing cranial sacral therapy. Okay. So one thing that, one thing that, um, that I've noticed in hypnotherapy is that, that um, unwinding process, that, that twitching and the jerking that takes place. It's not uncommon for somebody to almost fly out of the recliner um, when they have a lot of tension that's being discharged in that way. It's very normal and natural, although sometimes it, it catches even the client off guard. But what that really drew my attention to was the connection between the mind and the body and, and how deeply and how um, really how deeply integrated they are, how you can affect the mind by having the body lead it into a, a calm and relaxed place, or you can affect the body by having the mind take lead and put the mind into mm-hmm. a calm and relaxed place. And the two together create a healing process that the client goes through. I can imagine it's very intense and I, I can see that it would be a process that would that, that could definitely be shortened by working with the energy system of the body and making those adjustments. Can you talk a little bit about what the experience is like for your client? Sure. So I noticed that too when I started doing hypnotherapy, when I was just doing a progressive relaxation and I tend to do a very slow, very detailed progressive relaxation because I do know the body and anatomy very well. And what I did notice too is as they were going into deeper states, as I was moving progressively uh, through their body, there was always a release of tension and a shaking. And I did notice when certain suggestions came in, there was a certain releasing as well. Mm -hmm. And so when I, first of all, when I do uh, total body hypnosis, I first do a typical hypnotherapy session where I do, you know, understand what their suggestibility is and give them a a first session so they are suggestible during the cranial sacral therapy. So yeah, that's a great notice and it is deeply enhanced when I then move on to the second session and integrate the cranial sacral therapy to it. What I've noticed, you know, every session is different. Even within a specific client, each session has a different flavor to it. But overall, what I see is people will move into a trance state the hypnotic state with the eyes beginning to flutter. People will have muscular release. Lots of clients report seeing colors, seeing and feeling like energy waves move Mm -hmm. through their body, but it always seems to be connected with colors and shapes as well, which is fascinating to me because I've also studied color therapy, I've also studied sound therapy, and I've also studied sacred geometry. Oh, sacred geometry, you've studied that, huh? Yeah, so basically when I hear that people are seeing colors and they're seeing shapes, um, it totally makes sense to me. And I'm fascinated by it because I know shapes have different meanings and just looking at certain shapes unlocks something within our, our mind. Right. And there's a certain lineage to it as well, and I find that to be fascinating. Yeah, sacred geometry is one of my... Um, oldest, longest obsessions and passions. Um, 
I've always been fascinated in not only how geometry is expressed, how sacred geometry is expressed in life forms, but also how, is it, how it's expressed in the layout of the universe and the um, structuring of galaxies and, and how it's really shown on the biggest scales and the smallest scales. And I didn't realize that that was something that came into play um, in cranial sacral therapy, but it makes perfect sense considering the human body and the way our cells are structured and everything is all expressed or based in or explained through sacred geometry. So how do you integrate it with what you do? I don't integrate it on a conscious level, but it seems like it just appears by itself. And even I think our, our language system, our letter, our alphabet, has certain feelings when we see certain letters. So it's almost our written name almost becomes our visual mantra. Just to, as we say our name, it becomes our auditory mantra as well. And I think it affects, you know, our ourself. Yeah. So the understanding of it enhances Correct. your ability to do your work. And so when someone tells me, oh, wow, it was interesting. I saw this shape and this color. I just sort of take note of it. Mm-hmm. I haven't made any major theories about it, but I, I'm beginning to see some sort of patterning yeah. that's happening. I found that to be the same in my practice as well, that there, there hasn't really been a lot of opportunity to directly incorporate it with what I do. But my understanding of it and my ability to recognize certain things when they present themselves enhances my ability to help my clients. And um, I think that it, it also helps in symbolism, understanding the symbolism of the subconscious, imagery, dreams, helping to open up the client's flow of subconscious imagery into conscious awareness so that they can use language to explain what they're experiencing which can be difficult at times for, for some people if that is not a flow that they're used to, if they're, if they're not used to letting that subconscious material come out. Yeah, it helps to simplify a lot of things. You know, our brain is geez, the most complex thing, and we're trying to study our brain coming from the brain, which is an interesting phenomenon, right. but it's the most complex thing that we know of, and yet the simplicity of shapes, of basically elements of nature, be it water, trees, you know, ground, earth, air, bring us back into a certain experience within ourselves as well. And so during cranial sacral therapy, I find a lot of people sort of return to that basic nature. And almost everybody after a session looks younger, their eyes are brighter, their face, their muscles have dropped, where literally the tension that they've been holding in their face has released. And they, they some people even feel taller because they're releasing muscles that have shrunk them so when they go back to their car to sit almost always they have to adjust their rearview mirror because mm-hmm. their body is taller because they've released and this has happened to me when I've been a client of it you release that tension that creates that that squeezing, squeezing right? and you're releasing it making it more fluid mm. and it totally affects your body your mind your spirit and your emotions yeah well our bodies are almost entirely made of fluid Um, And space. Most people don't realize there's, we think it's a hard object. And yet, like you said, it's made of 75% liquid and water. And the spaciousness that we don't see is amazing. And yet the material that's between us, me and you, where we see nothing, they've shown there is actually things there. So it's the two that to me is fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And that's actually something that I did want to talk about because... 
this being a, a physical and energetic um, type therapy, it brings us to the kind of dichotomy that we have with our bodies being solid, but also almost nothing but empty space. And that, that solidity comes from the, electric, the, the, the electrical fields, the electric fields that are around our atoms that cause the atoms to join into molecules, which then cause the molecules to link up and create objects. And so, our, heart, our heart has electricity. We could measure it. And when someone goes into cardiac arrest, what do we do? We use electricity to restart it. Right. So we are electric beings. Yeah. But so much of our understanding of self based on identity and ego makes it a little scary to think that we are so much more than our personality and who we think we are based on beliefs. And that's the great thing about hypnosis and cranial sacral as well is that we can have an experience of who we are way beyond that. Mm -hmm. And we can begin to see our limited, limited beliefs, how they affect us, and what happens when we begin to look at those limited beliefs on an unconscious level and how that affects our experience afterwards. Yeah, and so as a cranial sacral therapist, before you incorporated hypnotherapy, did your clients' belief systems come into play regularly or was that not something that you would usually come up against or, or explore in your sessions? Uh, in my experience with thousands of clients, I maybe had one person that wasn't allowing themselves to experience the work and just didn't get it because they were closed off to it. Mm -hmm. So yes, there is some, the more open you are to openness, I think the greater your experience will be, not just with cranial sacral therapy, but in life and in general. Um, but even if you don't believe, I've had enough people where they've experienced something to push their belief system a little bit. You know, we really only get what we kind of expect. Right. And so it's hard to experience something outside of our belief system until we have that experience. And then we have to start questioning everything. And you've seen people who have had that. People who didn't believe in UFOs, for example, and all of a sudden they have this experience that they cannot explain. Right. And it opens them. Because when you can't explain something, you're opening yourself to the unknown. And there is so much we can't explain. And yet, in order for us to operate in this society, we have to be able to explain a lot in order to control our environment. So there's that interesting dynamic of what happens when we can understand, explain, control, and be in this non-chaotic state and have a life and commerce and all that, and the otherworldly activities of where we go sometimes in our dream time or when we're in a hypnotic state, or some people turn to drugs to experience that thing outside of the normal experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that, uh, that desire that I believe is in us all to experience something that's that goes beyond just our physical reality. Um, is is that treated in cranial sacral therapy? Is that something that, that you examine the the desire to know oneself more deeply, the, the desire to come into a more um, full or deeper relationship with the mystery, the unknown, the God, whatever you want to call it. Is that something that, that you help your clients with, their, their spiritual growth? Yeah, I mean, I have addressed that only on a few occasions have I had clients that specifically wanted to deal with that. I had a client that started uh, becoming aware of a lot of kundalini energy working through her body and to the point where she got very frightened because she would be standing in line at a grocery store and her body would start shaking with all this beautiful kundalini energy. And that's all it is, is this beautiful 
excuse me, energy moving through us and we're having this experience, but then the mind is like, whoa, people are thinking I'm crazy and I don't even know what this is. She specifically wanted to sort of make peace with Kundalini energy, not cut it down and not experience it, but feel in control of it. So when it does bubble up, to be able to harness it. And we specifically worked on that through hypnotherapy and cranial sacral therapy. It was one of the most amazing sessions I've ever been a part of, where at the end of it, when I counted her out, she physically got up and just started pumping her fist, saying, yes, yes, yes. She already knew the difference was done. Yeah, because that energy, can it's notoriously difficult to control for people who are having the spontaneous release of it. Sure, and Especially I see Especially in a culture where... It's not, they're, they're not raised to expect it or even to know what it is. In, it's in scary. Culture. It's overwhelming. Yeah. You know, we're afraid, oh my God, what are other people going to think? So we wait till we're alone to experience it or we shut it down completely, but it's still energy and it has to go somewhere within your body. Okay. So yeah, I have had experiences with that and it's beautiful because it's our natural birthright and right. it wants to work through us, this creative energy, this Shakti, this Kundalini it, this, it wants us to have the Kriya experience. Okay, so what happens when um, somebody denies the existence of that experience or blocks or tries to block or resist the flow of that energy? So I think there's a couple things that happen. A, on a belief or on a mind level, I know they recognize it's there and they're denying themselves. So there is a bit of shaming that I think goes on within themselves, denial that goes in within the thought process, but on that's the mind level. On the bodily level, it basically has to go somewhere, so it usually finds itself in tension. So it becomes tense. Okay. So it'll express itself through physical form, through physical manifestations until you address it. This usually in a painful way because right. pain is a great indicator to get our attention, to, to our look attention. at it. And yeah. when you realize that and you're allowing that painful energy to disperse, you can actually see pain as God's love. So would you say that kundalini then is an emotional energy? Is it the life force energy? I think it's all of it. I mean, yeah. I think it can express itself emotionally. A lot of people, I know when I experience it through meditation, I just tear up. Mm -hmm. And it's an emotional release, but it's also a recognition of this beauty, this godliness that we're all a part of. And, you know, you cry tears of truth. Yeah. And you cry tears of holding it back in the, in, in the times that you do. So it, it has an emotional component, has a physical component, has a spiritual component. Yeah, like, like everything else in our universe, uh, there are no clear boundaries between things. Everything changes form from one thing to another. And, you know, we as humans like to put labels on one thing or another thing. But in reality, it's all one continuous experience. That's one of the beauties I found about hypnotherapy is that a lot of times people identify themselves or other people based on when that belief came into play. Which, as we know, from zero to eight, a lot has come into play mm -hmm. that became unconscious patterning. If we were to think that our parents were the same people they were when they raised us, we would treat them as such, which most people do. And we barely treat ourselves in a present way. We still treat ourselves in the way we treated ourselves when we were younger and started creating the belief system about ourselves. So hypnotherapy is an amazing way of beginning to, I would say unidentify, not re-identify, but begin to unidentify ourselves. So we can begin to have experiences with less identity and more be an experience machine versus this is me, Todd Simon, having an experience, which is limited 
to what I think my identity is. Yeah, that's a really interesting point because that opens, the, the unidentifying opens people up to the ability to experience more of their potential that they may not be aware of at all. So having the ability to unidentify instead of re-identify is, it gives people the opportunity to have a much broader experience of their true nature and their true abilities, their strengths, their um, their identity, and to reassociate a lot of things because a lot of us have had a very narrow kind of experience because of the fact that we are very kind of directed through our growth process. The The media kind of lays out a lot of things for us. Um, you know, I don't want to get too far into it, but the, the, the growth process from childhood through adolescence is something that's planned out by a lot of these big corporations like Disney and Nickelodeon and MTV. The, the whole process of going through puberty and everything like that is largely Absolutely. programmed. Yeah, and it's the great unlearning. And that's the beauty of cranial sacral therapy. It's the beauty of hypnotherapy is, you know, you go through school, you have to learn certain things, right? But if you believe that's all there is and that's all you're supposed to know, you're going to be limited by that. It's a great, there has to be some sort of learning for a culture, but then the great unlearning is where the fun begins. Mm -hmm. Where you begin to question, question everything. And not in a way that becomes negative, like question everything, but we're talking about present moment. Do you know, do you believe everything you hear? Do you believe everything you see? Do you believe, you know, you begin to question everything on an even moment to moment. And when I say question, you want to question the things that create the suffering and the pain for you. Why would you question the things that create joy? So you're not just questioning everything and creating that duality between you and the world. When something brings you suffering or pain, and this is what brings a lot of people to hypnotherapy and hypnosis, it gives you an opportunity to begin to question things and yeah. unlearn so that you can be you without that pressure. Right, yeah, and, and asking questions is a great way to deepen not just our understanding, but also our state uh, or uh, our state of wonder or our sense of mystery because no matter how many questions you ask you never will get to the bottom you'll never get to the ultimate truth that will explain anything uh, i tend to believe that uh as as human beings here in this in this on this planet in this earth that's not really in any particular uh, particularly special place in the universe that it's probably not even possible for us to understand the bigger picture or to really see those those deeper ultimate universal truths they may be beyond our understanding at least for the time being until we have evolved further yeah just asking the question begins to open a doorway mm -hmm. to a different answer and like you said it could be an answer that doesn't have the quote-unquote answer because when we believe we've identified something which is what we've done our whole life we identify so you can control it because but once you identify something that's all it becomes but once you begin to, quote-unquote, understand it, you create duality between you and what it is you understand. And so, correct, I think there's always going to be that great unknown and mystery. There are times in our life where we have glimpses of how it all works. And we are in wonder. You know, we could go to certain places and be like, like physical places, but also places within ourselves through meditation where you're just like, ugh. And you just, you have the experience where you just start crying because you just see the truth of it. And then you sort of slowly but surely come back to the identity and then you repeat. Yeah. You continue breaking down 
that identity. That's why repetition in hypnotherapy sessions is so great. You can have an amazing first session that was incredible and like, wow, I feel like so much has changed. And it probably has. But there's going to be a tendency to go back to the old patterning until you repattern. And that's the beauty of the continuance of something like hypnotherapy or cranial sacral therapy. Right, yeah, that's that's the unconscious desire to be in homeostasis. Correct. That will bring us or tend to bring us back to what we find as our comfort zone. And there's something important about homeostasis and having that sense of comfort and that there's also something limiting to it. So we have to find that balance because trying to shift someone too quickly also we can see spins them because then they really have nothing to grab onto. You've heard about some of the great sort of modern sages and saints who have had that experience of understanding and seeing it all, but they have, they're not what you call user-friendly because right. they can't communicate it back to the world. And so we go through those experiences of like, oh my God, I don't understand any of it. Oh my God, I understand it all. And finding that yeah. flux and balance and being comfortable with all of it. Yeah, it's really easy in that state to become detached from reality. If you spend too much time in that universal type of state of wonder the, the 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 real value in it is when you can come back and share a piece of it with other people and that can be really difficult because it's really hard to put that type of experience into words and that's the thing a lot of times we don't have a language and that's where like sacred geometry color uh just energy silence and looking at someone we can communicate you know nlp is, is works a lot on that the silent space what that we take in imagery during hypnotherapy. There's a lot to be felt and learned in that as well. So yes, we can give images to as much as we can, but like you said, language is limited, and that's where the other fun things happen, like silence and color and shapes. Right, and, and language is limited, and at the same time, it is also kind of... Um, part of our structuring of our reality around us. It's what we have, and, and yeah. it's changing. You know, we know that we have language, and it's the best thing we have to communicate to the masses, um, and yet we also know there's all kinds of other ways of communicating. Yeah. Okay, so do you find that when someone comes in for a physical issue, you know, we talked about the, the emotional release in the body, do you find that all physical issues have an emotional component to them? I have found that. I've worked, um, there was the U.S. women's snowboard team that I worked with a little bit because, especially in the half pipe, their sacrum is getting crushed. Every time they fall, they fall hard on their back. So I was kind of specifically working with them on a structural way. And yet each person I worked with, when I hit certain points, had releases that were tied to more emotional traumas that they'd experienced. So whether someone can make that connection or not, um, there is a connection because it's a release point. Okay. So what does that, um, what does that tell us about the body and how it stores information, how it stores trauma? Is there, is there ever a way to fully let go of our pain and our trauma? Well, it seems like pain uh, is there for a reason. And it's sort of a marker. It shows us maybe a little bit where we are on our path. So it seems like pain might be inevitable, but suffering certainly very, deal with that very easily. Pain itself, I do not think is bad. Our relationship to it on a mental level is what affects our experience with pain. Without that, you know, oh, pain, something's wrong with me, da, 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 I'm fearful. We can just listen to it. 
And then it kind of even transmutes. It's not even pain because we're not afraid of it. We're just noticing. Yeah, when you bring up the, the snowboarding thing, that reminds me of, of my early life because I skateboarded for 15 years. And I went through um, a long process of dealing with pain when I stopped skating. Um, mostly in my back, uh, but my, my shoulders also. I had some nerve compressing or something like that. Um, but I, I found that when I changed my relationship to my pain, basically when I stopped being a victim to it, um, probably 75% to 80% of my pain immediately went away. Yeah, Dr. John Sarno, I think, who deals with mostly back pain, I'm spacing on his book right now, but he talks a lot about that, where yes, back pain may come from these things, but within it is, is anger. A lot of it is anger. And so when you begin to release it, you begin to touch into the anger, and especially as men, a lot of times we don't know what to do with emotions in general or expression, and so there becomes outbursts. You know, this is why you see mostly, I think, men fighting more than women, because we don't have the uh, uh, real, we're not taught, we don't have great role models of what it's like to be a man and be emotionally sensitive without being made fun of. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's something that I think all men, especially in, in American culture, go through because we we do have that kind of expectation to be masculine it's something that's put on us from our very early ages big when boys we're told don't cry. Not to cry yeah and that that kind of builds a reservoir of undealt with emotions yeah i think that's one of you know one of the damaging things we can believe is big boys don't cry well the body cries it, it's part of we have tear ducts for a reason it's evolution we have them and it's a release and who doesn't feel great but if you're told not to do something that's natural, then you have tension. The tension has to go somewhere. Usually it goes somewhere uh, that's not effective and becomes sort of an outburst because it has to dissipate. It finds its opportunity, and its opportunity could be someone cuts you off in traffic. And that's where the, pain, you know, that's where the anger gets expressed. Yeah, and this brings me to another thing, which is uh, something that I found in my practice to be very important, and that is that simply just giving ourselves the permission to feel something or to do something can open our minds to the growth that we're that we're trying to achieve or can open us to just even the the ability to release that that emotion or the the emotional energy or buildup that we've been holding on to for so long giving somebody the permission or having them give themselves the permission to cry or to let go of that emotion is a really good start to the unwinding process or the, the releasing process of that stuff that they've been holding on to yeah, for so long. So that that experience in your office, that is um, kind of giving them the space, the sacred space or, or the, the permissive space that they need to be able to let that release take place. Is that right? Absolutely, 100%. I think the hypnotherapist's office, cranial sacral office, it gives that support and allows you to do exactly what you need to do. And so that's part of the unwinding process, that's part of the crying process. When I was just doing massage therapy 20 some odd years ago, and I'd be working on people just muscularly, they would begin to cry just when their muscles began to relax. And so that was the first time I understood, oh, so a lot of emotion is stored in these muscles, and when they begin to relax, them, they begin to relax the emotion that's tied to them as well. And that release almost seemed necessary. 
And yet you would find people apologizing, like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. I don't know why I'm crying. And intuitively I knew you, you're, it's great. You should continue. Just do it. You're releasing. Okay, so this is a, a very gentle therapy then that, that you're doing. A gentle physically, but also it's gentle emotionally because the client is really having the opportunity to get in touch with some things that maybe they they haven't looked at for a while. It's a very gentle, subtle, yet extremely powerful technique where the pressure is very light and it creates that opening for things to begin to move, new pathways to be created, old pathways to be released for the cerebral spinal fluid to find a new wave form. And then the muscles will follow and the emotions will follow. Yeah, it reminds me of the butterfly effect where one little movement in one area can create a tsunami in another area yeah and i also see it as dominoes like you know you're pushing the first domino basically and so the process continues you know weeks after we begin and i find the same in straight hypnotherapy as well you begin to release and then through the venting process if you keep in touch and hear about the dreams and the venting that's happening with the client it's like wow that one session just began to this whole order of things and so i like to see it as like a the, you're pushing the first domino Okay, yeah, and, and, and uh, venting is really important. Making that space for the change that's coming, I find, is one of the most important aspects of working with people in hypnotherapy is giving them the direction, directing that venting process. It, it makes it so that we can more um, accurately aim the therapeutic goals and aim exactly where we're going to be um, heading through this therapeutic process so that we can you know base our venting or, or the the clients venting on their goals so that if they have something that they want to achieve first it helps to release the thing that's been blocking that achievement right so and venting could take you know without the help like you said of a, of a hypnotherapist craniosacral therapist the venting could take forms that are very unhealthy whether it's binge eating whether it's anger towards another person, whether it's anger towards oneself. The venting is going to happen, but when you're able to, like you said, guide the venting process, you're really able to release. Right, and, and normally cranial sacral therapy is not very interactive between the therapist and the client during the process, right? There's not a whole lot of talking that would normally Traditionally, during the session, there's not. Uh, there's a little bit of cognitive that I liked to do, a lot more now that I've integrated hypnotherapy into it but correct it's usually done in silence and the body does its thing and when it's over the person's sort of like Ugh. and then there might be some talk but traditionally not afterwards and that's again the reason I like to combine the two because I think there's a process and some traditional craniosacral therapist might just be okay we've unlocked it in the nervous system and the rest will take care of itself I like to blend the two and bring the client's conscious and unconscious mind into the whole mix so they really know what's happening okay so in the in the very beginning you said you do go through a traditional hypnotic induction correct yes and um so you you are conditioning them to the hypnotic state yeah i'm conditioning them to take suggestions while i'm doing cranial sacral therapy okay and then you in that first session is that do you move them onto the table where you're doing the adjustments or do you just 
condition them to hypnosis. The first first. session is just conditioning to them to hypnosis, whether it's a pre-existing cranial sacral client or a brand new cranial sacral client that wants to do the full body hypnosis. The first session will be the typical induction, like you said, to prepare them and introduce them to the suggestion so that they will really hold during the full body hypnosis session. Okay, and then during the full body hypnosis session, you're giving them your hypnotic suggestions based on their goals and, and absolutely yep. during the process yes. of making your adjustments. Exactly. So okay. as I'm doing cranial sacral therapy, I'm also giving them the suggestions that I would normally do in a chair for a straight hypnotherapy session. And are you being guided by your intuition, by your meditative state, by what you're getting feedback from their body? All of all, all of, of the above. Okay. Yeah, all of the above. So it's important then for you to be receptive to the signals that are coming from your client. Hyper aware. And yeah. I, when I first started doing um, cranial sacral therapy, I would be like, oh, okay. I'd sort of be a diagnostician. I would diagnose and be like, okay, this needs to change, this needs to change. And then at some point, I just realized there was pure perfection that I was working with. And yet, I knew things needed to just adjust uh, in ways, but I never saw them as anything less than perfect. Saw your clients as anything? Correct, else? yeah. Okay. And yet, things would happen during that session. But in the, in the early stages, I'd be like, oh, this needs to change. I need to, this is off. I need to shift this. And then eventually I just saw that, well, what's happening right now is perfection and they're here and change is going to happen automatically. Okay, so do you feel like the addition of hypnosis to your cranial sacral therapy has, has been a major movement forward in your ability to help your clients? Definitely, because a lot of times I would recognize, um, now looking back, that when I worked just with cranial sacral therapy, I would be giving the suggestions but not speaking them. So they would probably get them on some energetic level, but not on a unconscious, subconscious, and conscious level. And so when I began to verbalize them, because again, there's energy in the voice, and there's energy that goes into the ears and affects the brain. So I knew it was important to actually physically say it for them to hear it. And when I started doing that, I noticed that it's almost as if I could see the suggestions landing in their body, which is why... If anybody goes to my, my website, you can see the logo is basically that. The, the, the words are basically placed inside the body. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a great logo because when, when something is stored in the body, it makes it physical and real. That's something that, that you kind of learn when working with imagery is that you can have your clients store certain images or certain intentions in their body to bring a more physical reality to it but there there really is nothing quite like the reinforcement of experiencing something in physical reality like when if you give a suggestion that's one thing that'll make your client feel good but when your client sees that suggestion played out in their life and there be a, a, a major improvement in the way they feel the way they act the way they react to the world around them that's the best reinforcement that they can have yeah and there's something about verbalizing it um you know, a lot of our limited beliefs have come through verbalization that people gave to us and we started believing and we heard it over and over and we probably heard it in our mind, not out loud, but we, they originated from verbally or, you know, you can love someone and just look at them with love, but you also, by saying I love you, they feel something as well. And so you can do both. And yeah. I think verbalizing is very important on many levels. One is literally the sound. If 
vibrates inside the ear and affects our brain. Yeah, there is a there is a deeper quality to our communication that goes beyond just the words that are said or the words that are heard. And There's the intention behind it. There's the intention or the understanding of the person who's, who's receiving your communication. And incorporating that, I can see, into your cranial sacral therapy was a major majorly enlightening experience for you and I think that's probably why you made it a permanent part of your yeah, practice for sure and sound affects us even in like I said the second third term as babies that's why there's you know Beethoven for babies or ba right. you know they play music on women's sure. bellies you see the father talking to the kid the unborn kid and saying words and even though it kind of looks some people think it looks silly it's they feel energy we feel vibrations on all levels and vibrations are as we know, on all levels, there's sound vibration, there's, you know, color vibration, there's the vibration of thought. Yeah. Well, we've seen through the work of Dr. Masura Emoto that fluids, especially water, can hold intention and can hold the energy of a, of a communication that's being directed at or through the, the water or the fluid, um, being that our bodies, like we discussed earlier, are made of almost, I mean, three-quarters water. The intention that is put into a pregnant woman's womb that the, that the baby is suspended in, it makes perfect sense that that fluid would be able to hold on to that intention yeah. and that that would have an effect on the, the fetus that's growing within that fluid. Conductor, I mean, you look at dolphins in water and how humpback whales and how the water is charged based on their noises they make. And I've been swimming with wild dolphins where I was very anxious because I had some previous choking experiences and the snorkel was getting me very... Or I was freaking myself out a little bit. And all of a sudden, the sound coming from the dolphins, the sonar, my entire body began to automatically relax just based on those sound waves. And that brings us then to the, the wisdom of nature and the ability of nature to bring us into balance. And I think that that's, uh, that's part of, of what we do as therapists in you know the, the hypnotherapy world or in the cranial sacral world is to help return our clients or to help our clients reattain some sort of rebalancing with nature with the world around them yeah. and the language of nature seems to be silence right because you just have to be in nature with no sounds and things get very amplified and i've noticed even when you take someone to a special place and hypnotherapy almost always it's a place in nature mm -hmm. it's never like i'm in this high-tech room with all these tvs not one person I've ever right. dealt with, that's their special place. The special place is by a brook, near the ocean, in the mountains, in a forest. And so, yes, that's our inherent sort of um, relaxed place of comfort. Right. So that's something speaking through our clients' subconscious minds, basically telling them, you need to get back to nature. Because when we, you're right, there is never a special place or a personal place that our clients go to that are technologically oriented. It's always in a forest or by a pond They're usually or by alone. the beach. They're always by themselves, almost always. Um, and that... And then you bring in wise ones, obviously. Right. But Which are reflections of themselves absolutely. also or parts of themselves. For sure, and that's the beauty of nature. Is it, because it doesn't literally speak... We can see the beauty, and it can be reflected back to us, and it just is. Yeah. Okay, so the desire to get back to nature, then, is something that almost every human being 
has within them, whether they recognize it or not, would you say? Definitely. And traditionally, you know, what happens when we perish in this body? We're usually dug in a hole and placed back in the earth. So ultimately, yes, even traditionally, that's where we like to return to. But yes, I mean, I know for me personally, who lives by the water and when I'm in a shower bath situation, like some of my greatest ideas and understandings take place. Because so, it's been around before humans, right? You know, right. if we look at evolution, depending on how you believe we got here, if we came out of the water, right? Mm-hmm. So we returned, and it seems comfortable there. Yeah, and, you know, that, that reminds me of, of uh, a, a question that I really wanted to ask you. It's something that I really wanted to bring up, which is that over the years, I have come to believe that the drastic increase in disease... Um, particularly cancer, but also uh, stress-related diseases, uh, chemical-related t- diseases and conditions. Uh, there, there's been an exponential rise in the um, number of births that land on the autistic spectrum, um, so much so that in the last 30 years, it's gone from like one in every 15,000 births to one in every um, 88 births um, could be placed on the autistic spectrum. And some of that is probably because we're more aware of it, but there's no way that that alone could account for this big of a rise in that condition. Um, so my belief or, or my kind of understanding of it is that this really huge rise in illness, including mental illness, has to be in some way connected to the fact that we are not living natural lives. And when you look at the, the people who have developed treatments for cancer that are not pharmaceutical, surgery-related, um, the ones who have largely been shut down by the, the medical industry, um, their treatments almost always have to do with getting back to living naturally, eating raw foods, um, getting into nature, flushing out and, and releasing the toxins that we have in our bodies. So do you feel that that need to return to nature, that feeling that everybody has, and that, that almost instant relaxation that happens when we get into nature, do you think that that could be um, part of our biology telling us that what, how we're living is not natural? Yeah, I mean, I think there's many kinds of environments that are affect us. There's the synthetic you know, environment, literally, where we're creating toxicity, whether it's through our food our clothing, uh, there's the internal environment that has to do with our thoughts because they can turn to dis-ease as well. I truly believe I was gifted, when I say gifted, this land came to me after a vision quest I did in Colorado, and I knew that the area was to be like wilderness healing, where people would go back to wilderness and a big part of the healing would be to be in this space. So for sure, I, I do believe, you know, if you start looking at GMOs, where we're taking what's natural fruit that was just naturally bearing and splicing it with these things. We don't even have enough understanding about the consequences, but we have to make a bigger food supply. Um, And yes, it it begins to affect our body because we don't have the evolution to begin to digest those kind of things. Evolution in the body takes a long time. You know, we still have parts of our body that we don't even need and they haven't even gone away with. You know, be it the appendix or there's, you know... And, and the so, tonsils. Yeah, and so our body, 
on an evolutionary scale can't adapt that fast. But if we start trying to throw different kinds of synthesized foods at our body, what is it going to do? It's going to react not in a way that's going to be positive. Yeah, and we've seen in um, the, the, the clinical testing that's been done with GMOs that um, it can cause shrinkage of the brain, really just terrible allergies right. and reactions. Um, and it's, you know, what drives it? Well, there's a couple things. There's business because people want to make money, but the number one thing they care about is not your health. It's their bottom line, really public companies to shareholders. So it's money driven. Somewhat might also be, you know, look, we're beginning to overpopulate this world and we might not have enough food. So how do we figure out other food sources? So there's a mix. But I, I do believe anything that brings us back to nature, both in the thought process, you know, just thinking good, pure, clean thoughts about yourself. And then, yes, in the food chain supply as well, trying to drink the natural spring water, trying to eat foods that aren't modified, right. the better. The more preservatives, you know, kind of not as great. Some people, I heard one study that um, mortuaries are saying that they have to actually give less preservatives in the body, less embalming fluid to preserve somebody nowadays because there's already so much more in the body itself. Well, it stands to reason that the better quality ingredients we put into our body, the better we'll feel in the long run. Yeah, and the ingredients are like thoughts are an ingredient, right? They affect our body mm -hmm. just as the physical food is. Even that beautiful movie was a chocolate where it's not just the food you're eating, but who's making the food? Mm -hmm. What's the intention behind them? Are you buying it from a company that treats their employees well? Because even on an energetic level, that will infuse itself into the food. How is it? created how is it harvested you know people are really getting into this now i want yeah. to know who's making my food i want to visit them i want to make sure they're having a, a, a peaceful time within themselves because i know that's going to affect on some energetic level the food that i bring into my body and the right. thoughts yeah and the that that brings us right back to the concept of intentions being stored in water and in meat or in vegetables and and how that intention then which we put into our body can be transferred to us. The, that also is something that connects to what you're doing because as therapists, our intentions can interfere if, if, they don't, if they're not in alignment with the therapeutic process. Um, they, they can interfere with our work, which is why as hypnotherapists, it's very important to keep our ego out of the situation to keep our needs, desires, all that, to, to leave that outside of the office when we come in to work with people. Um, do you find that that is also important in cranial sacral oh, therapy? Oh, absolutely. Even more so because you're physically touching the person. Right. And again, I think that's why my induction into sort of a meditative state is through touch because I've learned that once I touch someone, I know that my energy and their energy are beginning to co-mingle. Mm -hmm. So I better come from a really high state of love and awareness and understanding because whether they feel it or not they're going to feel it on some level and so i think that's sort of the deal i made with you know the universe when i took on this work that once the hands went on the intention uh -huh. the ego begins to dissipate right okay so you know in our in our modern i mean my motive do we have motives yes we want to have our client experience themselves in a beautiful way. Mm -hmm. So that would be my 
if I were to have a motive. Other than that, I'm here to support their process. They're telling me what it is they want to experience. My job, in a way, if it's their highest good, is to get them there, to support that. Yeah, so this is a, a very shamanic type of therapy then. Um, because it, in shamanism, intention is very important. And, and being able to focus your intention when helping to heal another person and to use your energy to make up, in a sense, for their deficit of energy, if they are in a deficit, uh, helps to rebalance them. But we also have to be able to connect to a source of energy as well so that we're not depleting our reserves when helping to heal other people. Yeah, I mean, I'm fortunate that I live by the ocean, which is a huge source of rejuvenation for me. My, my space is full of unbelievable gems and crystals and minerals that I'm pretty sure are helping me throughout the process, helping clear space, helping to give energy. They're like these angels of the earth. And then, yeah, I typically drink some fresh water afterwards, you know, light a candle, something like that. So, yeah, we do have to be aware because as we know, when we're in someone's energy, we are affected by it and we affect them. Yeah. So it makes sense to really be in that positive state within yourself before the client comes. Great. Well, can you give me um, some examples of what uh, presenting issues somebody might come to a cranial sacral therapist for? Yeah, I mean, there is a huge amount. I've had some people that have come for TMJ, and they also knew that there was some emotional stuff uh-huh. around. There are people that come uh, in, the, in the arts, um, actors, actresses, who are um, creatively stuck, writers. I'm in a creative block, helping with that. Um, People who just literally feel like there's something on their shoulders that they need to release, so they're not even aware of it. Um, People who have migraines, uh, people who are just overly stressed. So there is a whole gamut. Wherever there's discomfort, they will come. Traditionally, People have come with neck and head issues as well, but that's more on the physical. Mm-hmm. But there is a, a range of issues from the, covering the entire spectrum. Sexual energy, want to get more in touch with it, and that can happen a lot because Kundalini can find its way during the sessions. So the gamut is basically, you know, full. Okay, so this is a, a physical, emotional, and spiritual type of approach. Treating the whole human. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have people come to me for all of those spaces. And even though they may come to you for a physical thing, they're also getting emotional and spiritual growth through the process as well because it's all connected, right? Absolutely. Okay, that, that's kind of the, the fundamental belief about the holistic approach is that it's all one human. It's one, one human is includes all yeah, of those things. It's one of the reasons why I didn't go to medical school. I was pre-med my whole life. The mm-hmm. childhood dream was to be a pediatrician. And there was something within me that knew creatively by going to medical school, I wasn't going to be utilizing all of the skills I already had. Nothing against medical schools at all. The Western medicine is so vital and important. We have such an understanding of the human body and how to save it. And it's a blessing but for me, I also brought in this real deep knowledge and understanding and need to, needing to understand about where spirit lies within the body, where emotions, how they affect the body. It's one of the reasons I got into the healing arts 
was because of my own breakdown, because of not being able to express emotions and experience. And so I had to be a, a client of these healing arts to really understand how it worked. I had to be that quote-unquote wounded healer to understand it. Okay, great. Before we end this interview, can you just take a moment and tell me and everybody listening what you think are the most important factors in the world today affecting people's wellness and what you if you had the choice or the option to give the entire world a hypnotic suggestion right now what that suggestion Mm. would be thank you yeah that's beautiful and um, i do try to give hypnotic suggestions at all times by simply expressing love Um, but as far as individual people you know i find a lot of people hold a lot of guilt about things there has to be a release of guilt and understanding that with the thoughts you were having at the time, what you did was completely congruent with the thoughts you were having. We get to look at those thoughts now. And so give yourself a break. The past is over. That's the beauty of the past. Let's be present to what we are now. Begin to see your perfection and then you'll naturally begin to see the perfection in others. If you're already seeing the perfection in others and not in yourself, recognize that there's no difference. There's simply a reflection of you. The most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life, whether it's a person or an object, a thing, a space, it's you. You wouldn't be able to recognize it otherwise. So give yourself that opportunity to realize that that thing you see that brings you so much joy, it is you and really get it on every level that it's you and not something outside of you. Great. Beautifully said. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for being here with us today. I really appreciate you coming and sharing your expertise. And uh, this is Todd Simon. Can you just um, give your website? your? Sure. My overall website is called feelsacred.com. And um, within Feel Sacred, there are links to full body, total body hypnosis, as well as kinder mind hypnosis, which is strictly the hypnotherapy. Okay, and our listeners can get your book, A Little Infinity, on Amazon.com, right? Correct. It's on Amazon.com. It's a beautiful book of some of my original writings as well as photographs that a friend has taken of nature but slightly um, out of focus where you begin to see things you wouldn't normally see with your naked eye. So it gives you an understanding of what things exist when we change our focus a little bit. Yeah, for about 20 minutes uh, this morning before you got here, I was I was taking a look at your book cover on Amazon and I had a I had noticed that I got caught up in staring at the cover and when I when I noticed that the that there were more pictures um, it, it said that the, the, that the book included photography um, that was one thing that really made me want to take a deeper look at your book so I'm, I'm really glad that that is part of it because that gives a visual side to the people who learn more visually as well as for the people who learn through reading. Yeah, and just to give a shout out to the photographer, uh, Bridge Mahalik, an amazing person, amazing photographer. I think it's uh, bridgemahalik.com might be her original photos. Unbelievable. She takes natural, a leaf, some water and light and slightly skews the camera and what you see is angelic. And to me it's what exists, again, when we slightly shift our focus, which is a beautiful analogy for yeah. what we do in hypnotherapy and visionary cranial sacral therapy. That's great. And that's 
Bridge, B-R-I-D-G-E, Mihalik, M-I-H-A-L-I-K. This was Todd Simon, Certified Visionary Cranial Sacral Therapist and Certified Hypnotherapist. Thank you so much for coming today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I love what you're doing on the show. Keep up the good work, and I really appreciate what you're doing in the world. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it, everybody. Visionary Cranial Sacral Therapy integrated with hypnotherapy. I want to thank Todd Simon for coming on today. Great guy, great interview. Really appreciate him and all the work that he does. I want to thank all of you for listening. You can find us on SoundCloud. If you wish to contact me, Ian R. Anderson, Certified Hypnotherapist, Certified Handwriting Analyst, and Master Facilitator of Therapeutic Imagery, you can email me at ian at hypnotropia.com. That's I-A-N at H-Y-P-N-O-T-R-O-P-I-A dot com or at messagesfromthemultiverse at gmail.com. That's all one word, no dashes. And you can visit my website at www.hypnotropia.com. That's H-Y-P-N-O-T-R-O-P-I-A dot com. If you think that you or someone you know would make a good guest for Messages from the Multiverse, please email us at messagesfromthemultiverse at gmail.com. We're open to anyone who is doing anything positive to support the human race, the earth, the multiverse, and multiverse consciousness. Until next time, honor and love yourselves, your fellow humans, and our planet. Be well, everybody.